Ephesians 5, 22 and 33, and a little bit in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 10. But we are talking about um, anthropology and just understanding even in marriage. As we're going through the doctrines of studying and looking at that, and how does this relate? And the Bible's teaching on marriage often contradicted the cultural norms throughout history regarding the current cultural acceptance of marriage. In the Old Testament, we understand polygamy was common and tolerated, but not necessarily originally planned or intended by God. As we look back in Genesis 20, uh, 2, 20 to 5, we see that it was one man and one woman. And in the New Testament, even the Greek, uh, there was a, a singleness and aversion to marriage, and it's countered by biblical teaching. Marriage is an important and God-ordained institution that permits a couple to have and raise children. It develops personal character and displays biblical unity. It also represents a Christ-centered life to others, a lifelong monogamous commitment between a man and a woman that pictures God's salvific love for us. It enables the Holy Spirit to shape our character towards Christ-likeness and provides a structured and stable environment for raising children. And I just allow a second for our, the PowerPoint to come up there. But to understand, even as we look at biblical teaching about marriage. So how does one define marriage? Someone said that uh, marriage is like a three-ring circus. First comes the engagement ring, then comes the wedding ring, then comes the suffering. There's anonymous that said the most important four words in a successful marriage. I'll do the dishes. And then um, there is the uh, poet who is Ogden Nash. He's an American poet. And he said, to keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. You can go ahead and advance those slides because those are on there. And so the whole point is, is that it's hard because we all see marriage through inevitable. This is uh, Timothy Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. It's hard to get a good perspective on marriage because we see it all through the inevitably distorted lenses of our own experience. In today's society, people approach marriage based upon their parents' relationship. Uh, maybe from movies or how they've seen it and on TV or even what they've read in books. You know, happily ever after. But that doesn't always happen. And many will be skittish of entering into marriage. Or there's a family history of failed marriages. If they have seen a child gone through a messy divorce, it'll blemish the outlook of the child. And the child may view marriage with more sobriety or seriousness or even fear of failure. Or casually without true commitment or importance. And so to understand, you know, how do we look at a biblical view of marriage and what is that how does that apply to each one of us today because there's some who aren't married some who are single some who have been divorced does that mean that you are any less of an individual no that is the, the wonderful thing in understanding is wherever position we are at and even as we talked about God's child that he has a plan and purpose for us if you think about even biblically thankfully you are not Hosea in the Bible, Hosea, he, God told him to marry a prostitute and say, guess what? Your wife is going to leave you. Most of you say, well, I'm not going to have that happen. But it was a picture for the nation of Israel for them to see. And you say, well, why did God allow that? 
but it was the response of Hosea as a prophet to respond correctly to the situation and circumstances that he was placed in. So as we look at this morning, present culture views marriage as constrictive and outdated for young people and a conflict to a tax break for seniors. And, you know, while some are not married and it doesn't make you a second-class citizen, in Luke 2, understanding is Anna served the Lord God faithfully till she was 100-plus years old. And 84 of those years, she was single and saw the Christ child. Although Paul desired that believers stay single, in order to serve Jesus exclusively, marriage was not prohibited, but an explanation was given of the challenges that individual to face and that would be provided for them. And it's not wrong nor unacceptable to be single because even in 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 8, as we read, Paul explains that being single is good and a gift from God and is an opportunity to serve the Lord God and honor him with the freedoms that are not always available in a married relationship but you are not less important nor has god forgotten about you first corinthians seven seventeen says and if you go ahead and advance that it'll say explain it says whatever state you're in use your position to serve and honor god and it talks about god has distributed each one and how you're at and even talks about whether it be married or unmarried whether it be um, back then there were slaves or it, whatever position you were in, or it's it work, or a child, or an adult. When a person comes to Christ, you are to serve God in whatever capacity or whatever position you are in. And it's important for us to understand that marriage will still affect you. And please forgive those couples who are going to treat, don't always treat singles with the respect and dignity that they deserve as a believer. Sometimes they're trying to hook you up. Sometimes they're trying to um, say things. But marriage applies to you because as the church, the bride of Christ, each of us individually, as we understand the, the church. So in Ephesians 5, 21, let me, let me read again as if you're in Ephesians 5 and 21, it starts out, starts out first of all it says submitting to one another a lot of people start off in 22 but it just has finished in chapter 20 where it says giving thanks for all things to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ actually stop and then submitting to one another in the fear of god and then wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife and also christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. One of the first things we learn about, and as we go through here, verse 24, um, 24, and I'll read the rest of it again since we have it in the slides. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the lord does the church for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. 
this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning the church, speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. One of the first things as we see a couple of observations here is that, number one, a growing relationship with Christ is vital to success in marriage. A growing relationship with Christ is vital to success in marriage. God established covenants with mankind as we think about the past. Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant. But these were to be representatives of God's covenant relationships with other individuals. Even as we see originally back in Genesis, the relationship with Abraham and Abimelech, they cut a covenant, and there was a covenant of salt. It was a binding contract. But we, what we see here is that our vertical relationship always affects our horizontal relationships. Whether it be in a marriage or not, we, we understand that our vertical relationship, our relationship with Jesus Christ, with God, when that is in order, that will influence and affect our personal relationships with others. And when we are in a proper and submissive relationship with Jesus, we will be more attuned to our desires and the needs of those around us. So in order to have a healthy marriage relationship, it requires a growing personal relationship with Jesus. First, both individuals need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It begins there. Do not be unequally yoked. It is hard to have a relationship who's, who is someone who is not a believer. There are believers who are unbelievers who are great moral individuals. We have friends who are good believers. But when we enter into a contract, whether it be a business contract or a marriage contract, there are going to be challenges because they do not hold the word of God to the same level that a believer would, and to understand the boundaries. And so as we understand that they're, if they're not born again, they possess no Holy Spirit and no resource that presents, prevents them from replicating the errors of their parents or friends. Marriage is more than compatibility. It is more than physical attraction and the shared interests. Ultimately, it comes down to a value system with personal character that is willing to evaluate itself before Jesus Christ and change accordingly. That's why our relationship with Christ, did you know that it changes? There is growth. And there are going to be periods where the pendulum swings, where everything's going well and everything isn't. Where you feel like, you know what, God is really speaking to you, you know, you're learning and growing. But then there's times where you're going to be like so alone. What is going on? But it's during those times that also we're going to lash out. It affects those around us. You know, if you've ever had a moody teenager or you've been a moody teenager, you know, you understand what that goes through. And people, you know, when they're in moods, you know, they always say, men, you know, if they're hungry or tired, you know, they're, they're grumpy, right? You know, and I don't know what they say about women dispositions, but, you know, they can change very quickly. You know, because they can be yelling at a child or their husband, then they can pick up the phone and say, oh, yes, hello, how are you doing, you know? You know, who can understand a woman? But the whole point is that our relationship with Christ, and that is an important part because when we are in a sensitive, the Holy Spirit's leading in our life, it affects our other relationships. And we change. And... There's a little song that making what he wants us to be. We're in the process of continual change and moving forward. 
the problem is that we don't like change. We want everything to stay the same. You know, that would be nice. But the world continues to change. And even as we look at in, our, in the news, things change. We don't know what's going to happen. And that's the hard part. But we can understand and trust God who is our constant and to respond in that. And God often uses a husband or wife to help us grow spiritually by being blatantly honest, even when it hurts, whether it be a husband or wife or friend. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, oh, does this make me look ugly or this, that. I'm talking not blatantly honest there. But sometimes we all have faults. Did you know that we all have faults? It's not cosmetic, but I'm talking about character issues. The challenge is that we don't want to we don't want to be around someone who is blatantly honest with us. But sometimes that's helpful because whether we need to wake up out of the stupor in, sometimes we get depressed and it's like, hey, come on, get out of there. You need to get up. You need to, a, friend's, a friend or husband or wife will tell you what you need to hear. Get up. Stop it. You know, sometimes we want people who are around us and just agree with us all the time. Sure, you're going to need friends who listen to us, but also to be blatantly honest. And that's what the Word of God says. It's a mirror. As we read the word of God and it contrasts because of our sinfulness and our sinfulness affecting us. And when we understand that we're sinning, guess what? You're sinning. Get out of it. Change. Or, you know, you can do this. And here's the tools how to do it. Look at what is taking place. And it helps us to grow. And greater value is placed upon the individual rather than compromising truth. Because some people are only concerned about the relationship. So a growing relationship with Christ is vital to success in marriage. And the challenge is that sometimes one person grows more than the other. And, and oftentimes it's the, the female and not the male. It's like sometimes you're, you're like dragging a dead body along because sometimes men don't like to read. And that's a, a, that's a challenge because even as it talks about in leadership, how do you submit to someone who isn't following after God? But yet... That is the challenge because as we see as a natural order to pray for them, those individuals. And as a wife, it is difficult. But a growing relationship with Christ is vital to success in marriage. And I've seen it even influence the church because it's not that women can't lead because there's, I've, seen, I've worked in the operating room, I've worked in other places, I've seen women can lead. And then they come to the church and like, what can we do? Women are very valuable and have great um, knowledge and sometimes they're smarter than men. And that's the hard part because sometimes pastors and church leaders, they don't know what to do. But when women who are willing to submit under the godly leadership of others, God can use them. Not because that they're less important, but because they're trying to follow after the model. But when a man is leading and guiding and directing, following after God, you know, they are, they're, they are going to follow after. And that's the encouragement. That is the biblical model. We're trying to help men to, to lead their families. And women, it's not easy because there's a great responsibility. If you look at the news and you look at the characters, um, character quality of a husband, you know, they're the ones that everyone makes fun of. But it's a matter of spiritual growth and together. You can work toward that goal. And I believe that God can change and help you become, whether it be the man or woman that God wants you to be. But in order to, to grow together, you have to first grow in Christ. A Christian must spend time with other people, especially other growing Christians. We need to have people in our lives who will love us enough to tell us the truth, even when we don't want to hear it. But also, sometimes believers can be unbalanced by thinking too little of their life. Oh, you know, I can't do anything. 
Well, God can use you, and he wants to use you. Or sometimes there's those who think too highly of themselves, you know. But that's not true others because the, as we see here, the humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. doesn't mean that we, have, have, um, we don't have any self-esteem. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord understands that your power and your, your identity lies in the person work of Jesus Christ. It's not like that refrigerator magnet, God doesn't make junk. I'm not here to boost your self-esteem, but I, esteem, but I am here to tell you that your identity in Christ gives you value and worth. You were made in the image of God, as we talked about last week. And that's where even understanding doctrinally is that even Paul, what was his goal? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. He said, oh, you know what, I am a, a Jew. I, I'm one who was of the tribe of Benjamin. He listed all these characters that he could have put. It would have been an impressive resume. But he also said, I'm the chief of sinners. He understood his position of sin. But yet God used him mightily and greatly. And sometimes believers can be unbalanced. But a Christian grows by intersecting their lives with others. God doesn't want you to just go and hide somewhere. It is true that our testimony is far more effective when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. Our gifts of speech, persuasion, and talents cannot and should not be compared to the effectiveness of the Holy Spirit. See, we may impress people with what we know, how we dress, or what we have, but transformation of the heart can only be accomplished when we allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives and through us. And that's where the word submission, it's a military term, and it means to arrange under. First of all, we must arrange under the leadership of Jesus Christ. And that's hard because sometimes God wants us to do things that we don't want to do. Oh, you want me to sing a special insult in church? No way. The last time I sang in church, three people changed a religion. You want me to be the greeter? Oh, no, I can't do that. You want me to teach? You want me to be a part? I can't do that. But yet being willing, starting in a Bible study or being involved. It's a volitional act of the will in which we permit someone else to take a position of spiritual leadership. And it starts with, God, take control of my life. doesn't mean that we aren't still used by him or that we flounder. It just means putting him first in everything we do. And that's hard, submitting to another. Second thing we look at is in the text in verses 28 through 29 and then 33. It says, marriage teaches that selfishness must be, must be transformed to selflessness. In 28 and 29, it says, so husbands ought to have their own wives, lo- love their own wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. And then verse 33 says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, one of the problems of the current concept of marriage is that two selfish people are looking to receive their share. But really, it's about the marriage. And it's hard to be objective in a marriage because we want everyone to be on our side, right? Right? Think about it in any arrangement. I'm right, they're wrong. Right? You want to be right. It's not about even, you know, the relationship. It's about being right. But think about who you married. What you're doing is condescending and saying, you know, okay, if you're right and they're wrong, it's, it's about a, a lose-win proposition. 
We understand that naturally we are all sinners and often act in ways that only benefit ourselves. And in a marriage relationship, the questions a selfish person asks is, what are you giving me? And why am I not being satisfied? It is similar to the consumerism that we witness at restaurants. Maybe if you like to go out to different restaurants, I like to try different restaurants, but I also read reviews. And reviews are very interesting because people will say, oh, you know what, the food is bad, or you know what, they didn't fill up my water, or, you know, I mean, everyone has an opinion about everything, and they'll let you know, you know. They'll say, oh, I went at, the restaurant closes at 9, I went there at 8.45, and you know what, the sushi wasn't fresh, and you know, it's like, it took forever to cook, and it's like, okay, what are you doing? But there's not always valid opinions. But if a patron does not like their meal, they will certainly let other people know. If one party in a marriage is not fulfilled in their opinion, then they will question, why should I participate? Or why should I go to that restaurant? And then they will find everyone who sides with their perspective and who will support their ideology. Sometimes we spend time with just only people who believe what we believe. You know, you know oh, I'm right, right? Yeah, you know. And we don't listen to anyone else. They will treat marriage as an opportunity to get all their dreams fulfilled. Husbands need to make loving their wives a relational priority above all other people. That's one of the challenges. Loving their wives a relational priority. doesn't mean giving your wife everything, but it means loving them. And then wives need to respect their husbands and not compare them to other men. You know, that's the thing too. You know, it's not to build up their ego, but to show respect. And as we understand relationally and spiritually, the more we give to our husband or wife and to God, the more we will get out. And that's a biblical principle as we think about the investment of others. Sometimes we're just trying to get. And anytime we have something, we try to hold on to. But to give. It is better to give than to receive. I'm sure your parents taught that to you, preached that to you at Christmas time, right? Don't worry, it's better to give and receive. Let me give you a little insight into my life. I rarely share any personal and anecdotes, um, but there's one where when I was a kid and what we would do is we'd take turns and passing at around Christmas gifts. I don't know how you do it. Sometimes it's like everyone all for one and one for all. But, you know, there would be names on the tags. And so you go under there and look, is that for me? Is that for me? Is that for your sister? Oh, that's broken. Not mine. You know, you go through. But we would take turns. And, you know, when I was a kid, I don't remember how old I was, but I was impatient. And so I wanted to open all my gifts first. And so guess what? My parents, in their wisdom, let me do it. So I opened them all up first, and guess what? Then I had to wait, and everyone else opened their gifts. It wasn't much fun. And so then my grandmother always reminded, do you remember the one time, you know, where you opened all your gifts first, and then they never let me forget it? But the whole point is, is selfishly, we want what we want. But we don't always see the wisdom in our decisions until afterwards, objectively. And that's where God understands relationally and spiritually, the more we give, the more we get out. It's not always easy to give when someone is harping on us or are telling us always to do something or just continually belaboring points. But this is a paradoxical statement because it can be confirmed. The validity of it can be confirmed. Fulfillment and true peace are the greatest tangible benefits that we receive. In James 3:16, it says, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. What that means is a person who is consumed with their own desires, 
they're not much fun to be around because they don't think outside of themselves. It's only what I can get, what I want. And if you've ever been seen or been around one of those type of people, you know, they're terrible to be around because they'll never see beyond their own perspective. But yet, in a relationship, teaching about that selfishness must be transformed to selflessness. And this applies even as we think about single young people. You know, young people think about what they only want to do or what they're going to do, but they don't think about other kids. You don't think about other people going through or how you can actually be a blessing to other people or they can be a blessing to you. What you can do, reaching out. And marriages, sometimes you have to look beyond yourselves. Kind of like this. I, I remember, you know, young couples who get married and they, they are in that in love state or even before that. You know, it's like, oh, you know, gushy, gushy, you know, so, so, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, you know. And anyway, they only, they only think about themselves. They can't see anything else. And sometimes even bad relationships, you're like, you should not uh, be in that relationship. That person's a bad person. Oh, I only see the good characteristics. You know, he's so strong. He's so wonderful. You know, she's beautiful. She, you know, is so nice to me but they don't see the faults. And sometimes the danger is, is that selfishness can be transformed, must be transformed to selflessness because even in that process of change, as a believer, you know, when our relationship with Christ is right, that selfishness becomes transformed to selflessness, serving Christ and giving, but also understanding that it is, the same with our relationship with Jesus. It takes humility to come to Jesus and admit that you need a Savior. It is an act of faith when people who have, learned, have not learned to trust others display dependence and, and obedience on Jesus and his commands. It continues to challenge believers throughout their lives because when we sin or when we do well, pride is always lurking nearby to either tempt us or to cause us not to trust God and to take credit for ourselves. So we need to be careful because as we see the challenge in our lives is the pride or sin and, and selflessness when we are wrong, you know, or when we do things, it's important for us to put Christ first. And, uh, you know, simply as we says, what did that slide say? You know, um, when we are wrong, we need to ask for forgiveness. Doesn't mean to say, you know, I was wrong. That's it. You know, I am sorry, will you forgive me? Because that's where the hu humble part in, comes in. Trust me, I have kids and they like to remind me, Dad, you didn't do it right. You have to, you know, you're wrong. You have to ask for forgiveness because that's humbling. It's easy to say, I'm sorry, right? That's how we teach kids. Say you're sorry, I'm sorry, not really. You know, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Because then it puts the onus. And then as a believer, we have to say, yes, I forgive you. And then we have to let it go. We don't bring it up. Hey, do you remember when you did that? Yeah. Uh-huh. But that relationship. And then to understand true forgiveness. And then when you are right, don't keep bringing it up either. You know, that's the thing. We like to be right. But don't worry about that. And so as we look at number three, as we see... Here, not only marriage teaches that selfishness must be transformed to selflessness. Number three, a rewarding marriage requires responsibility. You know, no one likes to take responsibility anymore. 
No, it's easy to blame. We're talking about in Sunday school the three ABCs, accuse, blame, and criticize. You know, so-and-so did it, not me. There used to be Bill Keene who drew the um, farce, uh, was the farce, Bill Keene did the family circus. And it was uh, not me, nobody, um, somebody else. And there'd be these little ghost figures that the kids would blame. Say, oh yeah, who did this? Not me, somebody else. But as we see in verse 30 through 33, it says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. As we understand here the giving of selves, but the responsibility is, is a comparison of the marriage relationship with Christ and the church. And the challenge is that if you think about it, sometimes we get something new. But there's some people who like to get new things, but when it's no longer new, what do we do with it? We throw it away or get rid of it, right? It's no longer new, and we're, we live in that consumerism. But that wasn't always the day. There were things that were made to last, right? And they did last. I mean, even appliances. I think about um, washers and dryers. You know, a dryer might last a little longer, but a washer probably nowadays will last maybe eight eight years at the most before the drum or something breaks. And they're designed for that. It's like, really? Because if it weren't, then they wouldn't make any money, right? But there's some of those old refrigerators, some of those things that, you know, don't have any ice maker and, you know, those things last forever. Even vehicles, there's some vehicles that will last a long time, but they get rid of them because they don't make any money. But the whole point is, is it also takes maintenance. Once you have something, you have to maintain it and take care of it. And we're not very good at maintaining things. Even as we see here in the relationship, it says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are one. And the primary responsibility now is the husband and wife. Too often they bring in other issues, family members, friends. There's a saying that says, behind every successful man stands a surprise mother-in-law. But as we, as we look at relationship and as we look at the priority, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Christ loves the church, the believers. As we think about the universal church, all believers and even the local church, it's not a perfect. Did you know each of us were not perfect? You know, we like to remind one another, yeah, you're not perfect, you know, point to one another. But the whole point is, is that as we move forward, forgiving one another, it's a picture of Christ and the church. Guess what? Christ is perfect. But guess what? We're not. We keep on messing up. And so when we ask for forgiveness, when we respond in a way, when we, as David in the Psalms, you know, I've sinned, please forgive me. The restoration, that reconciliation, it's a picture of Christ's love for his church because he's always ready to forgive us. And that's how we are, whether it be in a marriage relationship, whether it be in a family relationship. How do we respond as believers in Christ? And there are great rewards because it takes responsibility. You know, what are the greatest rewards uh, and blessings in a marriage? To be in peaceful and secure relationship? You know what? Oh, we don't argue at all. There's some marriages where people don't argue at all. I think, you know, I don't know. The, maybe the, 
one person said, it's because we always go out to eat. Um, we've done this for 50 years, you know. I go out on Mondays and Tuesdays, and she goes out on Thursdays and Fridays, right? You know, I don't know, but, you know, there's different ways that people have peace and secure relationship. But someone who knows you intimately and still chooses to love you. Someone who will encourage you when you don't think you can make it on your own. Marriage requires hard work and dedication. While a marriage contains many blessings and rewards, it is one of the most difficult relationships you will have. Satan is contrary to marriages, to relationships, to living Christ-likeness. It takes great effort on your part to demonstrate love to another when you don't want to when you are tired, when you are hurting, when they mistreat you. Many people, including Satan, want marriages to fail. Also, one must remember that marriage has a broader impact than just on two people. You see, it influences two families and even their children. It affects jobs and workplaces. It affects schools and communities. It affects churches. When marriages represent what God intended, society is improved. When couples do not mature in their marriage nor take responsibility, Everyone is affected. And we all live with the effects of that. But do we just blame and say, well, this is the way I am because of that? No. Whatever state we're in, starting from this point, we can choose to honor God through that. And while there may be few role models for marriage, it is not an impossible task. A vibrant, active relationship can thrive and be fulfilling when two individuals are displaying continual effort to strengthen their relationship. It can be a great display of God's power working in our lives. And as we think about marriage, you know, there can be good relationships, bad relationships. There can be those who are separated, divorced. There can be those who say, I never want to get married. But I want you to understand, whatever state you're in, you can understand that marriage is, is something that's sanctioned by God. And as we respond to whatever situation, whatever circumstances we are in, we can still honor Him. And it can be a great display of Christ's power working in our lives. You know, it's the same in our spiritual lives because Christ is always available and desiring for us to grow, as we talked about. It takes concerted effort and discipline on our part for spiritual growth to bring lasting change. That's the hard part because, you know, change requires work and discipline. And there's some things that we'll work for. You know, if you've ever gone on a diet, you know, there's a cheat day or, you know, you can work for something because, you know, oh, you have motive. You look forward to that. Immediate gratification. But the hard part is about change is that it takes time. It takes effort. And things keep changing. But when we make specific time to pray, to read the Word of God, attend services, and choose to let God use our abilities and serve others, we will receive great reward in heaven and on earth. A spirit-led life will bring material blessing through friends and encouragement and seeing people move closer to God. You have the opportunity to be a part of helping people move toward Christ, or also sometimes they have an opportunity to invest in your life. If we sit here, there's one person who said, we stand on the shoulders of great men and women who have gone before. Each of you have been influenced by others in a positive, negative way. Maybe your parents, your grandparents, maybe your friends, co-workers. And to understand when it comes to our relationship with Christ, 
you are here today because of someone's positive influence on you for Christ. And I would bet, even say that, guess what? There is rewards that you have seen, positive things that you have seen, because otherwise you wouldn't be here. Maybe you're here this morning thinking, you know what? I, I should be here because it's part of what a Christian does. But I want you to understand that it's more than that. That God has a plan and purpose for your life. He also is transforming you. He is changing you. And the hard part is sometimes we're resistant to change. And sometimes we don't know how we're supposed to change. When things come into our life, the sickness, the death of a loved ones, whatever. The hard part is that we instantly want to gravitate to our, our selfishness. God, why did you allow this to happen? Or I want to do what I want to do. But in our responses to those circumstances, God can use you to further his kingdom. And that's where even submission to his will, because marriage is a picture of Christ, the submission, even within the, as we think about theology, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father, but yet each one is God. How can that be? It's something we don't necessarily understand, but it does not invalidate the truthfulness of it. But yet there is a submission one to another. If you think about God the Son came to earth in submission to the plan of God the Father, even the Holy Spirit, as we think about that natural, we don't always understand it, but there's a submission in there. And for the picture of us to submit to the plans of God, we can resist, we can get angry, we can get emotional, but to understand God, you're in control. And my desire is to respond in a way which will honor you. Granted, there's things in our lives that we don't always like. And I'll be honest, it's difficult. It's painful. And as we look at what God is doing, a spirit-led life will bring material blessing through friends and encouragement and seeing people move close to God. The spiritual benefits include crowns in heaven, but also the privilege to see influence that you've had in people's lives that you may not realize that you've had on earth. As you live your life, you wonder, why am I here? What value is there? Sometimes you think, does God really care about me? You do not live in a vacuum. And what that means is that your life doesn't influence just you. You might think, well, does anyone care about me here? God knows you and knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. And just as we look at, in closing... Marriage is an important and fundamental relationship that helps us understand how to love another, not only emotionally and physically, but willfully, when one does not desire, deserve to be loved in our estimation. Sometimes we think, you know, no one loves me, everyone hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. But we get in that depressed state where it's like, you know what, no one cares about me, no one, you know, we've all been there. And it's a very selfish thing, and Satan wants to remind you that you're nothing, you're a sinner, you know, you can't do anything. But then we remember that Christ loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross to forgive our sins and to purchase a place in heaven which he offers as a free gift. You know, that's more valuable than any house that they have for sale, more valuable than any sports car, more valuable than anything on this earth. And to understand that you are loved, but also that he desires that we honor and serve him. And marriage is a picture that, guess what? 
There's a relationship, a covenantal relationship between a man and woman to, to love one another like Christ loves. Not because, oh, you know, I don't feel like loving. There's going to be times where a husband and wife, they're not going to be very loving toward one another. You know, I'll share one more little antidote that I don't usually do personally. It's like sometimes, you know, Shauna is very quiet and, you know, she doesn't like to engage. And sometimes I'll be like, come on, let's go, get engaged, you know. It's like we want to fight, we want to antagonize, or, you know, just talk about something. And it takes forever. Different people, we're different people. We have different ways of addressing things. It's like, let's address it right now, you know. But because we have to respond in a Christ-like manner, but there is benefit to that because it removes our selfishness. And when we understand in any relationship, it is an opportunity for one another to experience the love of Christ through a relationship because when you have the love of Christ and you can care about someone, even when they're willfully hateful against you, that is the love of Christ. Think about Christ's love is so great that he loved those who are, who are going to crucify him. I mean, we have trouble loving someone who, who disagrees with us about restaurants, about politics, about anything. But to have the love for other men and women, boys and girls, sometimes we're disgusted by what they do. But to love another person with the love that Christ has. That only comes from the submission to the Spirit of God because our natural desire is to be repulsed, to hate everyone. It's a lot easier. Love is not a feeling nor a temporary emotional state. Marriage is not a covenant to be taken lightly. No one should enter into marriage without objective counsel from others. Each individual needs to be willing to submit their lives to Christ and their future husband or wife so that they become the individual that God wants them to be. It is true that often wives spend their whole married lives trying to change their husbands then wonder why is he not the man I married. But marriage changes us. And even as we think about the relationship in our spiritual lives that we change, we don't even realize that we changed. As you grow, whether it be physically and spiritually, you know, you were a kid. Each of you were a baby. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's interesting because I always think about babies. Oh, look, you know, the baby's nine pounds. The baby's eight pounds, seven ounces. You know, the baby's healthy. It doesn't matter. You know, the size. We're so concerned about the size. It's not like magically, you know, something happens. It's, you know, we're each born in different size, but we record that. And then, you know, we get older. It's like, oh, you know, I don't want to know how much I weigh. I don't know, you know, what happens. But the whole point is that God knows us intimately and personally. And loves us. And we continue to change. We continue to grow. And the desires become more like Christ. So each person needs to place a priority upon evaluating the relationship with Jesus. When we make a commitment to follow Jesus and allow him to change us, God will lead someone along our path at the appropriate time. The danger is that we rush our relationships and are trying to seek our own paths. Whether it be marriage or singleness. We even have opinions about others and their lives. But we need to focus upon our own life and to love Jesus more than we love anyone or anything else. It begins there. How much do you love Jesus? Because it'll be reflected in our priorities. Until that occurs, 
we are going to face difficulties in a relationship. So I want to encourage you today just to ask yourself, how much do I love God? Sure, we love him enough to go to church, you know, we might tithe, we might do this, we might go on a missions trip, but how much do we love Christ? Because God may bring someone into your life, someone, and how do we show love to them? It begins, first of all, with a relationship with Christ. Do you love Jesus more than anyone else? And what did he say next to that rich and rule? If you love me, follow me. Keep my commandments. It begins there. Grow in your walk because only then can you express the love of Christ to others. When people treat you unlovingly, it's not easy to smile. You know, you're smiling on the outside. Yes, I love you very much. You're right. You know, but you, you might you, you be like, you know what? I love you, and you know we're emotional people, and, but you know what? We need to separate. Or I love you, and you know this isn't the right thing. Sometimes love means that you have to separate from those individuals. But love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. I want my neighbor to move. <laughs> but those who encounter... Do you love Jesus more than anyone else? Shall we pray?